This is the Emmanuel Message Podcast. For more information on Emmanuel, check us out online at kenosha.church. Today, so many people give up on God because they are tired of trying to prove themselves by their religious works. Stop trying, but don't give up. Today, Pastor Andy will unpack one of the most encouraging passages in scriptures. It will help you understand that what religion promises with works, Jesus has already accomplished by grace. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Kenosha Church. It is so good to have you here this morning, and it's so good to have everybody at home. Let's give a big round of applause for everybody that's at home worshiping with us this morning. We can't wait to see you here in the future. We're saving you a seat. Uh, We are uh, picking up in our series, Empires, Volume 1. This is an in-depth study of the book of Romans. It's one of the most theological works of the gospel to read the book of Romans, to marinate on the book of Romans, uh, to just think about the book of Romans is gonna help you have a deeper understanding and even a clarity of what the gospel is all about. And so next week, we're actually gonna close off volume one. We'll pick up uh, this volume two in the months to come. We're gonna take a little break and do some other series. One of those series starting in late September is a series on the Holy Spirit, so make sure you don't miss that. So next week will be the final portion of volume one. Like I said, the book of Romans is one of the most encouraging books in the Bible. Uh, it is, in its complete reading, it is the most extensive treatment of what the gospel is uh, and the clarity of the gospel, why we need to be vote, devoted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul has been laying out a case of our need of the gospel, and that's really important um, because the gospel, for some, it may be like, oh, that's just optional, or I knew about that. Can we move on to other things? But Paul is laying out, no, we are desperately in need of the gospel. So it would be a helpful picture uh, to, for us this morning to visualize the Apostle Paul uh, in a suit, coat, and tie, and in a courtroom, and as a lawyer, pleading the case of why uh, we need the gospel. And so Paul begins by laying out his thesis. I've read this passage almost every week, but it's important to understand this thesis, because without this, we can lose the context of what he's talking about. So I'll pick it up at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It, that is the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then also to the Greek. He then spends considerable time after laying out this thesis in chapter one, uh, giving the deep case of our deep rebellion or inner rebellion of all humankind, that we are all under the wrath of God without Jesus. Chapter two, he lays out the case even for the religious person, specifically the chosen people of God, the the Jewish people, that they too needed salvation. And so today we're going to continue in chapter three and Paul is going to then lay out a uh, a number of indictments against all of humanity. We're going to receive the verdict from God and then there's gonna be an interesting twist. So stay tuned because I'm excited for that interesting twist, all right? Let's pick it up, Romans chapter three, verse 20. If you wanna turn there in your Bibles or your Bible app. And again, I encourage you, if you're regular here today, to please do that because as we study through, especially a book study like this, uh, it, it, it does little help just to try to remember it by, you'll forget it, all right? So it's great to follow along uh, in your Bible and then even take notes because God will have some aha moments for you uh, because we believe that the word of God does not return void. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, isn't it? All right, Romans chapter three, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all 
who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God had put forward as a propitiation by his blood to proceed by faith. Uh, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. Now, for some of you, you're like, listen, I'm new to this thing. I, there's a bunch of words I didn't understand. We're gonna unpack those today, all right? Now, uh, it is the end of summer and people are trying to pack in some of those summer trips they've delayed because of the season that we've been in. And for many of you know, one of the places that Allison and I love to go is Alaska, I've mentioned that. Uh, but I just wanna highlight a moment that I really got into some trouble. Uh, a moment where I could have lost all my savings and someone would end to bail me out of jail. You ready for this one? All right, so um, we were coming back. We were almost home. We were in British Columbia. Notice I said almost home, right? When you're, when you're in Alaska and you get to British Columbia, you feel like you're almost home. But uh, so we were almost home. We were in British Columbia and we had been driving for days upon days. And you gotta know the Alaska Highway, uh, there, sometimes there's more bears on the road than there are cars on the road, okay? And so uh, we were driving down in this 15-passenger van. It wasn't our 15-passenger van. It was a pastor in town that, that, that loaned it to us. And so we were hauling. And sometimes when you're hauling and you're the only car on the road, sometimes you get going a little fast, all right? And sometimes you don't really know how fast you're going because it says kilometers an hour in, in Canada. And, well, our speedometer says miles per hour. So we were coming through the forest, and we came upon a little small town, the first uh, town in days, and so we were kind of excited as we were coming in, but we didn't really slow down enough. The reason why I tell you that is because we got pulled over, all right? And apparently it was Canada Day, so not only did we get pulled over, it was Zero Tolerance Day. Now, Canada Day is July 1st. It's their equivalent of 4th of July. And so, um, and they sing O Canada a bunch of times, all right? So, uh, O Canada Day. And so we were pulled over on O Canada Day. And so they came up to my window and they said, uh, license. I'm like, okay, here's my license. Registration. I'm like, get the registration out of the glove box. So they gave me the registration. And they're like, an insurance card. And we started digging. We couldn't find it. Well, it turns out the registration had been expired. We drove into Canada, into Alaska with expired plates. We didn't realize, we didn't check that out. We got the van, right? So that was strike one, strike two, because we were speeding. Then strike three was, is that we couldn't find any insurance card. So I immediately called up the owner of the van, and this is the reenactment. Hey, Raj, it's Andy. I'm almost home. Oh yeah, we're in British Columbia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, here's the deal. I got pulled over. Yeah, I was getting, going a little fast in the woods here. Uh, but hey, I need something from you. Number one is your registration's expired. Did you ever, did you ever re-register? You didn't. Okay, well, uh, you might want to do that like right now. Hey, I, I need an insurance card. Do you know where that's at in the van? Oh, you, you have it on your dinner table. Okay, that doesn't really do me any good here in uh, British Columbia. So uh, could, could you uh, just, uh, oh, oh you want, you're going to take a picture of it? I don't think we, no, we don't get picture text up here. It's like old school 2G data up here. Uh, 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 there's nothing in the van? Here's the deal, Roger. Okay, so I got pulled over and uh, your registration's expired and I need to show insurance. And they just told me that's gonna be $5,000 in Canadian dollars. And when you make that even to American dollars, that's more money than I have. And then also, I'm not gonna have enough money to bail out your van. So listen, uh, unless you, we figure out this insurance thing, uh, say goodbye to your van. Oh, by the way, how's your day, right? <laughs> that, that, that was how the phone call went. And so I told the whole van, I was like, start praying hard now. Now, while I was on the phone, apparently the Mountie was doing laps around the van. And uh, she came up to the window and she said, hey, um, I noticed one of your stickers on the back of the van, it says, I went to the Arctic Circle. And I'm like, 
oh, this is my inn. I get to tell a story. <laughs> uh, yeah, we just got back from the Arctic Circle, right? And she said, oh, I've always wanted to go there. So for the next 15 minutes, I started telling Arctic Circle stories, and I was selling it that she needs to take a trip up with her other Mounties to the Arctic Circle. And so by this time, she was super excited. She was getting ready to even plot a date on when she's going to go up there. And she said, hey, here's the deal. I'm, I'm going to go lenient on you today. It's like, yeah. It's like, I'm going to give you a warning on the speeding. I'm like, yeah. Um, you just get your plates registered when you get back to America, just if, if you get past Border Patrol. Uh, and, then, and then third, um, here's the deal. Call up your buddy, and I want him to tell you every detail that's on his card, and I want you to draw the insurance card for me. I'm like, What? So I called up Roger. Hey, man, tell me everything that's on your card. And I'm going to tell you, (laughs) I didn't question. I just gave her the best Vincent Van Gogh insurance card I could draw up. And I gave it to her, and we were on our way. And when we're driving, I was like looking at Alice. I'm like, did that just happen? Did I just draw an insurance card, and that counted? Like, what in the world? And it dawned on me in that moment. You see, the law said that I should have paid 5000 in Canadian dollars. The law said that the van should have been in an impound lot and I'd never see it again. That's what the law said, but the person that was enforcing the law gave me mercy, gave me grace, gave me undeserved favor. Now we can, and this might not be a situation where you're pulled over and your car is going to be at risk and you're, you know, and you don't have any proof. Like they could have thought that this whole van was stolen. Okay. Uh, And so you, you may not have been in that situation, but where have you received undeserved favor, undeserved mercy in your life? Where in your marriage or where in your relationships or where in school or where in your job, where have you received where you just stepped in it and yet You were given mercy, you were given grace, you were given that second chance. You know, this morning, spiritually, we all need that second chance, don't we? We all need that third chance, right? I mean, Jesus, he multiplied it by a bunch, you know, 70 times seven, right? Or, you know, what he's saying is this, we have grace upon grace upon grace. What's that mean? Well, this is what this means, is that without grace, we have to try. You see, I could have told Arctic Circle stories for hours upon hours. I could have tried my hardest. But the thing is, no matter how hard I tried, I'm still not the one that renders the judgment. But you see, in the spiritual world, we try to go about trying to prove ourselves to God, or, 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 or in the or in culture, we try to prove ourselves to each other. And you know what? We keep doing this even though we never have a resolution, even though we never know, was that good enough? So this is the main idea this morning, and now I want to unpack this, is that what religion promises, religion promises that you can do it. What religion promises, Christ has accomplished. What religion, what I mean is man-made, dead religion, what religion promises, Christ has accomplished. Romans 3.20, for by works of the law, No human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. I mean, what Paul is saying to the Roman church here, plain and simple, is that human beings are incapable of being made right by their own accord. When we try to get right with God by being a good person, we call this man-made religion. Religion, that's the definition, the, the dictionary definition is this, human beings' relation to which they regard as holy, sacred, absolute, spiritual, divine, Worthy of special reverence. Religion. 
It's man-made religion. It's how we try to get to God by proving ourselves to God. But when is ever good enough? Religion, what religion promises Christ has accomplished. Now, this is where someone may object and say, yeah, that's why I've given up on religion. And I don't have a religion. I don't even believe there's a God, right? So what about the non-religious? They're not trying to get to God. They don't believe in God. So they just gave up on the whole thing. But non-belief, I want to just say this morning, is just as much of a religion. Atheists have an active belief system of their views concerning the origins of life. That is how the universe came to be. Uh, Natural processes. They have views on the afterlife or the lack thereof. Uh, They have their views on the existence of God or how to behave while they're alive and so on. You know, they believe that something came from nothing, right? Uh, Here's the deal. You have to have faith. You have to have a lot of faith to have faith in nothing. And what about the agnostic? They're the ones who are like, well, you know, I just don't care. You know, I just throw my hands up. I mean, maybe we can know them. I just don't think we can know it, right? But that is like the person who's, you know, doesn't own insurance, doesn't have a savings account. They don't have enough money to pay bills, and they're okay with that. Like, they're just like, well, whatever, you know. You are ignoring your destiny. And so that might, that might be a religion in itself, right? The now This is how Tim Keller defines religion. He says, a set of beliefs that explain what life is all about, who we are and how we should spend our time. And I like that definition because religion can be towards God. It can be towards yourself. It can be towards nothing. And I would say to the agnostic, they're they're more about themselves, I guess, at that point. The reason man-made religions exist, I would say in part, is because within each human being, God has created in you a conscience. A conscience isn't just given to a Christ follower. It's given to everybody. This is the inner ability to understand something's right or something's wrong. The word of God clearly paints a picture of what is in the will of God, what is good uh, and what is wrong. Uh, A pure conscience can grasp this, at least in part. But Paul makes clear, and we read this a few weeks ago, that even a person who doesn't know the word of God, who doesn't know God, still has a conscience. He says this in Romans chapter 2, verse 14. Indeed, when Gentiles, again, whenever you see that word Gentiles in the Bible, that means uh, someone who's irreligious uh, or anybody that's not Jewish. Uh, indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciousness, also bearing witness in their thoughts, sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. The conscience of a non-believer, although suppressed maybe perhaps by culture or by influences in their personal life, still bear witness to the laws of God, at least in part. They understand that there's something greater out there. Many people turn to religion in hopes they can be good enough, whether it's to God or it's to themselves or it's humanism. But listen, our conscience bears witness that something's wrong. And so our natural inclination is to make it better. But what religion promises, Christ has accomplished. You see, the gospel message, what Christ has accomplished is the gospel message, is that God saved us by sending his perfect son, Jesus, to die for us. While religion is a mad-made substitute, uh, the the religion of proving yourself in the pursuit of being accepted of others or of God, uh, it it falls short. Uh, We need the gospel. The gospel is not just some add-on. The gospel is not some just uh, get-out-of-hell-free card. Uh, Rather, the gospel is everything. The gospel of Jesus is our only remedy. It is our only hope. You see, without Christ, we we stand guilty. 
Paul in this proverbial courtroom is going to read out now, I'm going to give you six indictments this morning against us, against all of humanity. Then we're going to hear the verdict and then a twist. What what religion promises, Christ has accomplished. So let's take a look at our indictments. So now he's standing in court. We need the gospel, and this is why we need the gospel. Indictment number one. Our sin is an an indictment against our... Here's our main point. Our sin is an indictment against our self-righteousness. Our sin is an indictment against our self-righteousness. So he's going to lay out the indictments. We see this in Romans 3.10. There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All are like or have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. So he's in the courtroom. He's getting ready to give the indictments. Here's indictment number one. I misspoke there. Here's indictment number one, charge number one. We are not right before God. We are not right before God. He's going to give indictments against our own self-righteousness. So charge number one is we are not right before God. Righteousness is a major theme in the book of Romans. It's the most basic sense in the idea that we are right before God. Now, many people will do moral things in life, but according to this charge, even if you do good things, uh, even if, if you walk old granny across the street, it's not good enough. We are all falling short. We are not right with God. That's charge number one. Charge number two, we see in our reading, we don't spiritually understand. We don't spiritually understand. Charge number three is we don't naturally seek the things of God. We don't naturally seek the things of God. We talked a little bit about this last week. I'll review again uh, that in order for us to even seek God, the scales of our eyes have to fall off. In order for us to seek God, the scales of our eyes have to fall off. He's the one that brings the scales off our eyes. In fact, we see this 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Where many seek religious efforts, perhaps maybe to escape guilt, or maybe we seek God because we want something good out of God. Naturally speaking, we do not seek God in our natural selves just to get God. We want something from God. But what God wants us to understand is he is the greatest good that we can be seeking. Everything else is just frosting. Now, here's the deal. Some of you might be shaking a little bit because you're like, wait, I thought I pursued God. Listen, here's the deal. You did pursue God but he beat you to the punch. He pursued you first. Think about that. When you wanted nothing to do with him, he was pursuing you. Uh, when, When you were so far away from God, he was seeking you. He was running after you. So often, our natural inclination is not to seek the things of God. It's to seek our own wants, our own desires. We think our way is better than God's way. You see, when we sin and we go our own way, we are declaring our own divinity and we're declaring that we know better than God. Did you know that? Whenever that we sin, whenever that we especially acknowledge, you know what, this is what I'm gonna do. We are saying, guess what, God? You're not God. No, no one would say that, would they? But that's what our actions actually declare. Paul, the first four charges really have to do with our character. He then moves his indictments to our speech. You know, speech is an interesting thing, isn't it? So easy for something to slip out, right? Uh, But what about Facebook or what about Instagram or Snapchat where you actually have to type it in and then hit enter, right? Our speech, it's a problem, isn't it? He says it this way, Romans 13, or uh, chapter three, verse 13. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is 
under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. We have a mouth problem. The place our characters on display most is what the words that are coming out of our mouth. In fact, Jesus said, from the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. So my question to you this morning is this. What words came out of your mouth even today? The last week. What words, what harsh words, what words that were laced with innuendo, uh, what words maybe that were explicit, what, what words that took the Lord's name in vain, what words that spoke and tore someone's character down? Well, where did they come from? You, you know, like when things come out of your mouth and he did fight, and you say, oh, it, it just slipped, right? I didn't mean that. I didn't intend to say that. Oh, there's no, I didn't. I, it, just came out. Where did they come from? They came from right here. They came from my heart. You see, what comes out of your mouth comes as the storehouse of what you've been storing up in your soul. So his charge, charge number five, is this, is our mouth is an open grave. That's an odd one. If you were to be charged with an open-graved mouth, what's that even mean? <laughs> It means this. What Paul's saying is that when our words are not from the heart of God, full of grace and mercy, uh, when they are four-lettered, four-lettered, uh, four seasoned with gospel or gossip and slander, uh, they carry the stench of death. When, when our when our storehouse of our hearts are words of slander, it smells like the stench of death. John MacArthur put it this way: the throat is. To the heart as an open grave is to the corpse. Okay, that's gross. But that's how the Lord sees our words. He also says this they're like vipers' venom. Words just don't stink, they can really hurt and harm. How many of you this morning can remember words that were said to you in the last day, the last week, maybe even decades ago? And when you hear them in your mind, it just hurts. It's beyond a, oh, that stunk. It was like, it, it kind of just jolts you a little bit. You can remember them, can't you? Because words matter. Our words matter. It doesn't matter if when you're saying them in front of friends and it doesn't offend them. It doesn't matter if you say it if you, because you really want to mean it. It doesn't matter if you want to say it just to show that you're angry. Listen, God says uh, when our words are not seasoned with grace, we're not full of mercy, it stinks like a bloated rigor mortis animal corpse on the side of a highway. James 1.26 says, if anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Uh, James 3.9-10 says this, with the tongue we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. Brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. So what are we to do? If our mouths are an open grave according to charge number five, what are we to do practically? And that is... It may I just give a, a suggestion we may have heard in elementary school is that when you really want to say something, it doesn't mean say it. It means pause and stop. Boy, how many friendships could be saved that way? How many jobs could be saved? How many marriages would not be on the brink if we were just like, ah! dear Jesus, help me. Right, right? How many of us would have a life that is a lot different 
if we could, you can't go rewind, but you can hit the pause. Pause 10 seconds, pray to God. At home, if you're, if you, listen, you, you, you may, you may have been saying the four letter words, three letter words, five letter words, a combination with the hyphens, and you're like, I just can't stop saying them. Then it may be that you need to reinstitute the swear jar, all right? And for some of you, you put in your little quarter, I'm telling you, inflationary swearing. It is $20, all right? You put $20 in that jar, all right? Some of you know you need it. And if you're typing it online, I still don't get this one because if it says it on your social media, it meant you really meant it because you had to think it. Then you had to put it on the screen and then you had to reread it because that's what you do. And then you had to hit enter. And then when you hit enter, you had to leave it up. So don't hit enter. Our speech is like an open grave. He then moves on to the granddaddy of all indictments. We see this in Romans chapter 3, verse 15. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Charge number six is there is no fear of God. I've lost track with all these charges because they're all heavy, okay? But this one is so clear. This is almost the why. The sixth indictment of why we are not self-righteous is that there is no fear of God naturally in our heart. This sums it up. The type of fear Paul speaks of is, is not uh, the fright fear, like, oh no, God, oh no. Uh, you know, it's not like God's the boogeyman, all right? That's not what he's talking about here. This is the fear of respect. Let me illustrate it this way. Growing up, I had the uh, stoves, at, the electric stoves, where when you would turn on the stove top, uh, the coils would turn orange. You follow me here, right? Some of you may still have those, but they would turn orange. And I'm going to tell you, as a little kid, whenever my mom would put something on the boil and she'd turn, on, she'd turn it on at level four and I'd see those coils turn orange, I'd be like this, a little kid. Like a moth to a flame. I wanted to touch it, all right? But she would say, Andy, don't touch the burner. It's really hot. And I'm like, okay. And you know, I trust them. But then finally, I looked at it. I took a second look. I took a third look. And you know what I did finally? Today I'm touching it. And I put my whole hand on that burner. And I'm going to tell you right now, as a kid, I said the longest word. It was, I looked at it and literally my whole hand blistered. It was the worst. And it's back in the 80s when they put butter on your hand as somehow that was a homeopathic way of getting rid of burns. I don't understand that. Did anybody, did you, your parents do that? Put butter on a burn, right? I don't think that worked, okay? But, but here's the deal. I didn't respect the burner. It was hot. So it's a respect of this thing's hot. I don't need to fear it like, from stove, get me out. That's a phobia, all right? God's not saying have a phobia of God. We can have a relationship with God, embrace uh, our relationship with God, have a close relationship with God, but we need to remember he's God. He's in charge. But yet our charge is this, is that in our humanistic tendencies, we forget to fear God. Now, after reading all these indictments, it's kind of the uh, crud. 
Andy, come on. I, I, wanna, I want some encouragement this morning. It's like, now I feel like I have to lawyer up before God. Yeah, well, you know, here's the deal. Here comes his verdict. So number one is, is our indictment show, it's an indictment against our unrighteousness. Number two, uh, the second point this morning is, you can't argue with the verdict from God. You can't argue with the verdict from God. So we got a bunch of indictments against our righteousness. Number two is, here comes the verdict, but you can't argue with the verdict from God. If you get a verdict in today's courtroom, guess what? You can appeal, not this one. Let's take a look. Verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. The verdict is clear and it's complete and it's without error because this is God handing down his judgment and that is every person, religious or non-religious, church going or not church going, uh, spiritual or not spiritual, nice, semi-nice, or straight up mean. Uh, it, no matter what country you're from, no matter what race or background you're from, no matter what political party you subscribe to, listen, we are all guilty as charged. The judgment is so complete and without error, there is no possibility of our own personal appeal. And we see this, it says, for every mouth may be shut and subject to God's judgment. We don't have a defense. He's basically saying, you can shut your mouth because my mouth is open with my judgment and it's complete. Verse 20, for no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. That word justify is really important. It's related to the word righteousness. Uh, righteousness, again, is to be made right before God, but to be justified, that is the verdict. That is God declaring one righteous or not. So justification uh, I'm going to give you Wayne Grudem's definition as a legal act of God where our sins are forgiven and Christ's righteousness is placed upon us. So when you are justified, that means God's righteousness is placed upon you. When you're justified, that means you are made righteous, which means this. We are told we cannot be justified by the works of the law. If you're trying to work your way to God, you will not be justified before God, which means we need a serious remedy. Paul's making very clear that not one person will stand before God and be declared not guilty because of their work. Someone may say, well, if that's the case, then what's the purpose of the law? What was the purpose of the whole Old Testament if no one could get right with God with the law of the Old Testament? Here's the deal. The law wasn't given to us to prove ourselves to God. The law was given to us that showing that we desperately need God. We need a savior in Jesus Christ. Because of our sin, the verdict has been leveled. We and ourselves are guilty before almighty God. We have fallen short. We have no defense. Now, if you're seeking God this morning, this is where you realize I need Jesus. But there's many who would stop here and say, okay, I understand that I need Jesus, but what if I don't think sin's a big deal? Like, why is sin such a big deal to God? You know, when you think of the depths of sin, you're like, why does that really matter to God, right? I mean, you know you've thought that before when you've been wrestling with something. Like, man, God, why does that really matter? I don't get it. Why, why, why? Here's the deal. We don't understand fully the glory of God. We don't understand fully the righteousness of God. 
We don't understand fully the will of God. And there's going to be things in our humanistic mind we don't understand, but God understands and he wants us, whether we understand or not, to follow him. Now, when we choose not to follow him, we are called what I call a glory hog. We try to hog the glory of God. I, I want to beckon back to the idea I said just earlier, is that when we choose to sin, when we, when we sin, we are saying, God, guess what? I think I know better than you. Let me demonstrate it this way. I was in Sweden a couple years ago on a layover, and when I was on a layover, I tried to make good on the layovers. That's a little travel tip, right? If you have a layover somewhere, you have more than three hours, go and do something, all right? And so I'm like, I'm going to go to this palace in Sweden. It was like five bucks. I'm going to go do it. And so I went to this, uh, it was the, the royalty of, of Sweden. And, and, uh, and what was really cool about this is that they kind of let you go a bunch of different places that most places are roped off. Well, I know where I'm going to go if there's not a lot of ropes. I want to go see the throne, right? And so I'm going to put a picture. Here's the throne. And that's just me and the throne. No ropes. And I'm thinking to myself, There was nobody in the room. I couldn't see any cameras. I'm not saying they didn't have any. They probably did. And so I was with a few of uh, my pastor friends. And I, said, and I said, let's walk closer to it. So I walked closer to it. And I said, should I? And they said, yes, do it. And I had this little evil thought in my mind for just a second. I'm going to sit on the throne. And then as I'm, I literally take a step towards the platform and I realize what you're doing is not good, all right? That's called your conscience, all right? What you're doing is not good. Why? Because literally, if I were to sit on the throne, number one, that's not for me to sit on. Number two, I'm making a declaration that I'm king, and what's, what's gonna happen is whatever are hidden cameras, because mind you, there have to be hidden cameras in there, they'd say, get that imposter off the throne. Arrest him, kick him out of the country, may he never come back. Listen, that's what we do when we decide to be our own God, when we decide to go our own way, when we decide to jump into sin, is that we we say, God, get off the throne. I'm sitting on it because I'm king. It's crazy, isn't it? Sin is a big deal. Even the ones that we don't agree with, even the ones that we think that are no big deal, it is a big deal because sin is treason against God's glory. And sin's a big deal because we live in a world that we can see each and every day the effects and ramifications of sin. The brokenness of relationships, the brokenness of society, the brokenness that's around us. Well, my life's pretty good. Well, yes, we'll just look around because listen, what may be going good for you in a moment could be broken for you in a day, but there's brokenness around you right now. This is heaven? I want my money back if this is heaven, right? But yet, how often do we treat this like heaven? Listen, when we don't want God to be our Lord, our leader in our life, we're saying, you know what, God, I'm just happy for this to be my heaven. What a cheap and broken heaven. And what happens is when we realize the brokenness of this world, we start to point fingers at everybody else. Remember last week we talked about we shift blame? Yeah, we shift blame. This person, it's this person's fault. Or it's that, that, that group of people's fault. It's, and we start to shift our blame everywhere and, we, and nothing happens because like, the world still stays broken. But listen, I want to tell you this right now. They don't teach you this in history class uh, in school. But you know where it got broken? It got broken and a nice, beautiful garden with the very first human beings, Adam and Eve. And listen, when they sinned, they blamed each other. Then they blamed a snake. And then blame's been going all over the place because we forget 
in the historical picture of why we're at where we're at today, it's because it got broken in a garden. It got broken with the first human beings. And so now we stand guilty before our maker because it's been a domino effect ever since. And we see the ramifications of sin around us. And may we never say, God, I'm going to go my own way or that sin doesn't matter because it does matter. It affects us greatly in this world today. So we've been indicted. We've been found guilty in ourselves. This is the part where Usually in a courtroom drama, it's very sad for those that are going to go to jail. But this is where it gets exciting. This is where they'd say, breaking news, because something's about to happen that nobody thought was going to happen. When people heard this for the first time in Rome, they realized, what do I do? There's nothing that I can do. Breaking news, here it is. It's point number three. A ransom has been paid for your life. A ransom has been paid for your life. Verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. Stop the presses. We may be guilty, but we can be found right. How? It's two words that we can easily pass over really, really quickly if you're reading this quickly. It's two words. It's the words, but now, but now, turn to your neighbor and say, but now, I know it's a weird phrase, but say it because it's a huge phrase, but now, it's a word that indicates there has been a shift in the equation, even though that we're out of options to prove our own righteousness, but now says there is another way. Apart from the law of righteousness of God can be achieved by faith in Jesus to all who believe where there's no distinction. In a world where we love to divide up, group up, uh, even worship uh, earthly identities, we have these two beautiful words. The great equalizer. But now, but now, God has provided a way out. Through him and in him, it is, it is for all and it's for everyone. No distinction. No matter what sin that you have in your past, no matter what sin you may find entangled in the present, but now says there's another way. Church, do you feel that? Do you feel that there's been a turn in the equation? I know the last few weeks we've been talking about the depths of our sin and the depths of the trouble that we're in. Listen, that's Paul's fault. That's the reason he just, but here's the deal. The reason why he did that is because when we get to these two words, but now, we're like, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. May we never, ever take for granted the great salvation, the, the great remedy, ransom that you put in our life. Here's the deal. God is not out to cancel you. He's out to cancel your sin. But now, let's get that on a t-shirt. But now, let's get that on a bumper sticker. But now, let's make that a hashtag because we were once lost, but now we are found. But now. How many need to remember when it all seems hopeless? But now, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But now they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We've all fallen short. 
I've likened this before to if we went to Lake Michigan and two people had rocks and the objective was to throw it across the lake and for it to land in Michigan. But what happened is two people would throw rocks, one would throw it farther and that one that threw it farther would declare victory. But what scripture says, it's not about how good you are. It's that you both fell short. But now we're justified freely by his grace. Freely. No religious work can build the bridge. No baptism, no confirmation, no walking grandma across the street. Nothing can do it. But we are declared not guilty when you place your faith and trust in Jesus freely by his grace. Grace is a word that means undeserved favor. How? How do we receive this? Because there's been a redemption coupon. Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.18 says, Knowing that you were ransomed for the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Redemption's this. That means to buy something back. Your life was redeemed at a great cost. It's free to you, but it costs the Lord Jesus his shed blood. Verse 25 of Romans chapter three, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. The ransom was made and paid, not in the back room of a courtroom. It was paid on a cross and Jesus gave his life. I want you to notice that word propitiation. It's a word of like, you're like, propipi, what? <laughs> Propitiation, many translations in scripture. Um, and I'm reading from the ESV this morning in that section of scripture because uh, the CSV, which I usually uh, uh, read out of, it said mercy, but mercy doesn't cut it. There's a lot of words that we try to use in English to try to translate propitiation. That word propitiation is actually a Greek word. They just didn't translate it. Why? Because we have a hard time in English to describe what, it's, what that word really means without going to a paragraph. So let me give you the paragraph of what, that, what this means. If Christ is a propitiation, this is what this means. You were once enemies under the wrath of God. But when you placed your faith and trust in him, the wrath of God was removed from you. He forgave you. And then he moves you over under his favor as a son and daughter of the king. Now listen, when someone really wrongs you and you forgive them, right? They're in the doghouse, right? But you say, you know what? I'm gonna forgive you. It's cool, whatever. You move right here to the neutral zone. You might not wanna hang out with them, but you're, you know, they don't, you're cool, right? But you're still not like best friends, right? That's not what God does to you through Jesus Christ. You see, you move from his wrath beyond the neutral zone and into the favored zone. You're his favored son and daughter. I want you to understand that because what the enemy tries to do is he tries to dig up your past, your past sins, and he wants you to at least be placed back in your mind at least into the neutral zone. Do not step in that zone. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you are favored. You are favored. He has passed now over your sins. You are forgiven. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's a gift. You don't pay for gifts. You give them. If someone gives you a gift and they want money for it, it's not a gift. It's a transaction. He gives us a gift. It's a beautiful, beautiful
beautiful thing. What I want to do is this, is I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus if you've never received Jesus. And secondly, I want us, I just believe that uh, this word repentance just keeps coming uh, uh, to a number of uh, just, just, just comes to the forefront for us as we're just praying. And uh, I, I want to just really hone it down actually into one specific area is our words. I believe that God is calling us repentance specifically to an area of our words. And so we'll get to that in just a moment. Let's pray. And I want to give opportunity for you today uh, for you to receive Christ in your life. If you don't know uh, you're right with God, if you don't know you're going to heaven today, you can know that. So Father, I just pray today that we would be made right with you and we'd stop trying to prove ourselves and that we would accept the free gift you've given us. You proved it all on the cross. Thank you for dying for our sins. Thank you for raising from the dead. So as we continue to pray, I just want to say to anybody and everybody in this room now, if you know you've never personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus or you're uncertain of it, today's your day. Today's your day. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, if today you want to make Jesus Christ your Savior, you want him to step into your life, you want to receive his forgiveness in full, we just make eye contact with me? Again, it's not making eye contact isn't... Uh, saving you. You're just indicating God's doing something in your life today. Just make eye contact. Say, yep, that's me. That's me. Thanks. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. If you're responding to Jesus today, just pray with me. In fact, hope churches pray together. This prayer doesn't save you. I'm just hoping you communicate to God in this awesome moment. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for making me I realize I've done wrong in my life and I need a savior. Thank you for Jesus, that he died on the cross, saving for my sins. Thank you that you rose from the dead. I place my full faith and trust in you alone. In Jesus' name, just continue to pray. Today, I want us to consider where do we need to be made right with God in the sense of our words. Listen, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you're forgiven. But sometimes we stray. Where do we need to repent? Where do we need to do a 180 when it comes with our speech? So let's just let God search our hearts right there. So Father, I just pray you continue to search our hearts. Just want to say goodbye to our folks that are online right now. Again, let God search your hearts as uh, whether uh, you, where you stand in the faith and also the words that you say to others. We will see you next week as we close off our series, Empires Volume 1. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information on Emmanuel, check us out online at kenosha.church. Also, we'd love it if you connected with us on Facebook and Instagram, both at kenosha.church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes at Emmanuel Kenosha. That way you never have to miss an episode and it helps us out greatly. At Emmanuel, we are not a perfect people, but a people being made new. Thanks for listening to this week's episode and we'll see you next time on the Emmanuel Message Podcast.